Hello and welcome back to another edition of our daily devotional podcast. Today we want to look at money, about the power and the, the grip money has on us. This is a parable that perplexes us. This is a, well, this is a story and incident that perplexes us. Because in this story, Jesus asks a very rich young man to sell everything he had and to follow him. Does he expect that of us? Well, as we read this story and as we think about this story, we may discover that Jesus doesn't expect this of any of us. But what this is, it's a living parable. In the Gospels especially, there are parables where Jesus tells the story. But there are also living parables where Jesus lives it with others, other characters in it. And this is one of those living parables. What this living parable shows to us is the power that money has, the grip that money has on people. It is as alarming as if we took it literally that Jesus had asked this man to give up everything. But first, let's look at the passage. Matthew chapter 19 verse 16 to 30. Matthew 19 verse 16 to 30. Let us pray. Father, speak your truths to us. For God, you speak truths that we may understand ourselves and our plight and our lives. You do not speak truths to inflict on us greater guilt or greater pain. But your purpose is to set us free. We ask then that as you speak this truth to us, that indeed as we respond to you, you will set our hearts free. Free to live the abundant life, free to live the eternal life. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 19 verse 16 to 30 Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good must I do to get eternal life? What do you ask me about? Why do you ask me what about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? he inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first 
will be last. Many who are last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, first of all, let me assure you that Jesus had rich friends. And he never asked all of his rich friends to sell everything they have. Just to give you an example, Luke chapter 8, verse 3, talks about some of the women who followed Jesus and, among, and supported him out of their own means. Among them was Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others were helping to support them, support Jesus and his disciples out of their own means. And so Jesus never asked um, Susanna, Joanna or Susanna and the other women who followed him to give up all they had. But yes, these women voluntarily gave of their means to support Jesus. But so do the, our rich friends. Many of our rich friends do give generously. They, Jesus has never does not call everyone to give up everything. So, that's good news for many of you who have savings, investments, who have kept money for retirement. But before you heave a sigh of relief, think again, because this is not a lesson about Jesus compelling us to give everything we have. But this is a parable about the power, the grip that money has on us. And it is important that we take heed as well. So after this devotions, take time to think about it and allow God to speak to you about what it means to pry open the grip of money from your life and allow you to truly live. Let's look at the story now. A young man came to Jesus and asked what good thing he must do to get eternal life. This young man, I suspect, was an accountant. He had everything calculated, he had everything done up. He, later when Jesus asked him whether he had obeyed all the commandments, he said, yes, everything I've done, I've done from childhood. Which tells of a man who was careful about his life. A man who took heed of how he was living a very intentionally uh, intentional a man who lived intentionally and that's a good man this man made sure that he wanted his life to count he wasn't living just wasting his life away or collecting lots of money or investing in many things what this man really wanted was to have eternal life and he had taken stock he had looked at whether he had sinned what sin he had committed, whether he had lived an upright life. But he came to Jesus with a wrong premise, perhaps. He wanted to know what he had to do, what good he had to do to get eternal life. Presumably, this man also called Jesus a good man. And first of all, Jesus wanted to correct him about good and bad. He says there's only one who is good. Why do you call me good? Why do you ask me of what is good? There is only one who is good. Basically, Jesus was trying to help this man understand that inheriting eternal life was not about doing good. Because if you did good to deserve eternal life, you never make it. Because only God can do good. No one else can do good. And so this man, by calculating how much good he has done and how much more he needs to have eternal life would never make it 
And Jesus made it clear from there. Verse 17, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But then Jesus understood also what this man really wanted. He wanted to live life. Live life to the fullest. Live life in God's way. And so he said, if you want to enter life, what Jesus was saying was, well, if you want to really live, right? Obey the commandments. Yesterday we talked about this in the context of sexual immorality. And I mentioned that God isn't so isn't as much concerned about keeping, obeying the commandments, obeying the laws, as he is about us living life to the fullest. To Jesus then, the commandments were not made to tie us up in knots that we might obey him, but rather that the commandments were made that we might truly live. And so here is Jesus saying, well, if you really want to live, to enter life, keep the commandments. The man, of course, was still calculating and asked, which ones? And Jesus mentioned the, the many commandments that were obvious to most. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie, give false testimony. You shall honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. <clears throat> Jesus just gave a sampling of what some of these commandments were. And the man said, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Now, Jesus didn't dispute that this man was good. I mean, maybe Jesus could have said, Hey, don't bluff me. Lah. You really kept all these? But Jesus didn't do that. He assumed or he allowed that person to... He gave the person the benefit of a doubt. Okay, so you have kept it. Now, what's your problem? And the man said, What do I still lack? I think the man was looking for peace in his life, for meaning in his life, for something to truly live for. What he was saying is that, well, I've kept all of these commandments, right? There's still a problem. Something's lacking. I still don't have eternal life. The man knew it. He knew that he wasn't entering into life. He knew that he wasn't enjoying life completely. And he needed to know what else was lacking. And Jesus then said, well, really, if you want to live it up, you want to be perfect. As you have been counting all the good that you have done, if you really want to be blameless and to enter into life, then sell all you have and give to the poor. And then you have treasure and then you come and follow me. What Jesus was saying in the first place was not that doing good would give him, earn him eternal life. What Jesus was saying was that if you really want to live it up, if you really want to live life to the fullest, sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me. You will definitely enjoy your life. I will lead you on an adventure. And as you experience that adventure of seeing the sick healed, of good news preached to the poor, of the poor being fed, you will indeed have life. And you can also look forward to more enjoyment after you leave this place. At this, the man was disappointed, very sad, because he was a very rich man. Here was a man who was given a choice, a very stark choice, between truly living it up 
and holding on to his sense of security, holding on to his wealth. He had that good life, that abundant life staring him in the face, and he knew it. If you will sell all you have and give to the poor, you will be liberated. And when you are liberated, you will really live. Come and follow me. That man had the offer right before him. But he could not take the offer because he had to hold on to his sense of security. He had to hold on to his wealth. This parable tells us how powerful, how powerfully a grip wealth has on us. Now, want us to think about this in our lives. Is it true as well that wealth has a very strong grip upon our lives? Let me ask a couple of questions. First question, how much of your decision to choose your career was influenced by how much income you would get. Really, I mean, if you had a choice between a career that was rich, a career that was meaningful, a career that helped people, and whether that career paid very well, which would you have chosen? How much of your decision to choose a career was influenced by wealth? You know, even like a pastor, sure, I had other choices, but I chose to be a pastor. Doesn't mean that it wasn't influenced by wealth at all. Methodist pastors are better paid than pastors of other denominations, and Methodist pastors are better paid than staff of the church or missionaries. I could have chosen any of these, but certainly money had an influence on me. And so let's be honest about it. How much of our decision was influenced by the income salary that we get. Second question, how much time do we spend taking, thinking about our investments and thinking about our money and our savings? How much time does it, do we take just to look at our investments and savings and all the money we have? I mean, sure, it's fair to think about retirement funds and all that, but does it take up even more time than this? How much do we worry about our wealth? Third question that's related to the second, how much time do you spend looking for money? I know of retirees who spend most of the time staring at the stock market. They've told me so. When I ask them, hey, so what do you do as a retiree? And say, oh, well, we play with the market. How many of you spend, how much time do you spend playing with the market, looking for, finance, looking for investments, obsessed with your investments? Third, fourth question. When you see a person in need, how much are you willing to give? Do you give according to what they need? Do you give according to what you can afford? Or do you think, well, I really shouldn't give very much. Don't spoil this guy. Just give him a little bit. Are we tight-fisted with the poor? 
how liberal are we in giving of our money to the poor? Now if you think about these four questions, you will perhaps get an idea of how strong a grip money has on you. And while God doesn't insist that we give up everything, the problem is that we we lose a lot when we are in the grip of money. I mean, take for example your choice of career, right? You could have chosen something that would have given you far more joy and meaning. You know, one of the sad things I've known is that I've met a number since I started ministry. I've met a number of elderly, senior people who have expressed to me that when they were young, they had aspirations to serve God. They had aspirations to help the poor. They had aspirations to be a doctor for God, be a lawyer for God, be a pastor, be a missionary, be a teacher for God. There was always this desire to serve God and to serve people. And then 40 years later, they sit back and they look wistfully and regretfully and they say, well, I really didn't do it. I became rich instead. It's a reality. It's, it's true. We often have great aspirations to serve, but we end up looking for money and being in the grips of money instead. What else? Well, our ability to help people. We actually have, many of us have, much, much more money than we, we need. And yet when we see a poor person, we think, well, do I really want to spoil this poor person? Well, think about it. Do we re- are we really spoiling a person if we bought him a nicer meal than, than what he should deserve? How liberal, how generous are we to the poor? How much do we want to bring joy into their lives? When we are tied down to money, we actually stop ourselves from enjoying ourselves. I mean, just this morning, my my friend, uh, financial advisor, was telling me about some investments and spent the whole morning looking at investments. Well, obviously I do have some, but, but I spent an inordinate amount of time and then I paused and I thought, hey, I could have spent much of this time praying for some others who were sick, some of those who were in trouble. It's no, it's no sin to spend time looking at, at investments, but it's an opportunity cost, isn't it? I could have spent that time, spent far less time looking at my investments. Actually, I didn't have to look that much. There wasn't very much. But I didn't have to spend the whole morning just looking at it. I could have spent that time in prayer, in thinking through, in contemplation. It was my day off, but I could have spent it in contemplation. And it's an opportunity lost. And so when we think about how much money has, how much power money has on us, it's frightening because it takes away our energy, it takes away our mind, it takes away our choice of life choices, it takes away the way we spend our time. We have to be well aware of the cost that our love for money takes from us. And then Jesus says, well, it's harder for a camel to walk through 
the eye of a needle. It's easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than for rich men to enter the kingdom of heaven. Many commentators say that the eye of the needle is this narrow gate into Jerusalem. But basically it's a metaphor for something that's very narrow. And he's saying that to enter that narrow gate, many of us who are rich, many who are rich will fail to go in. And we can only go in when we unload the camel, when we take these wealth and these riches, take it down, and then we enter into the kingdom of God. It is hard for one who has much wealth to do that, but it is not impossible. And so here are some ways of making it possible. First, pray that God will soften your hearts. Make us generous. Secondly, ask God to show us the poor and to convict us and to cause deep sadness in our hearts when we see the poor. And then to find opportunities to give. You know, I, I changed the order of worship for our Sunday so that now at offering time, I want a bit more time for you to spend more time thinking. And it's not about giving to the church because we need money. We do need money. But we are not trying to manipulate you to give the money. God provides the money. But spend that time thinking of a poor person, of how you could give to the poor. It could be through the church, but it need not be through the church. It could be directly to the poor. It could be through an other organization that is helping the poor. You see, my purpose of asking you to give is not so that the church will be richer. My purpose is that your lives will be richer by learning to give and letting go of your money, you loosen the grip that money has on you and you begin to enjoy your life a lot more. And so I want you to think then of the various ways in which you could help a bit more. For some of you, you are not even giving much of a tithe and I, I don't even insist on it because I believe that once again, <clears throat> God doesn't insist on his rights. But the tithe is good for us because it forces us to give and to loosen the grip of money on us. If you are not tithing yet, then think about money that you could be giving. Give it to the poor. Give it to an organization that is helping the poor and that needs your support. Pray about it. If you can't reach 10%, at least reach 2% and 3% and 4%, a little more each time. But the more you give, the more your heart will be opened and the more you enjoy life in its fullest. So think about your money and how you could loosen its grip on you. Let us pray. Father, you love us too much to allow us to spend our life worried about our money and about the things that we own. You want us to live a full life. You want us to live our lives with joy, with meaning, with no regrets. That at the end of our lives, we may look back and say, I truly lived, I gave when I could. When there were needy people, I fed them, I supported them, I even treated them and made them smile. 
And I wasn't tied down to money or the things that I have. Father set us free from the grip of our wealth and of our money and help us to truly live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, that's the last for this week. I hope to see you on Sunday. And if you have not been to church yet, I encourage you once again to come to church for two reasons really. First is to join us together as we worship God, including taking the Holy Communion. It's something that we take together as a body. And it's not something that we can just watch over TV. We come together and we worship God and we say to God, God, thank you for your sacrifice for our lives. The second reason, of course, is that we'd like to meet each other too. While we are st- there is still social distancing and all that and you can't meet uh, in church, you can always meet downstairs uh, at a coffee shop and there renew your friendships. I think it will, it will be a great thing. So I do encourage you to come to worship together with us in church. Well then, see you on Sunday. God bless and goodbye.